Hello everyone and welcome to Volume 5, Issue 234. Uh, in this issue we will be covering Telltale's The Wolf Among Us. Play along with Kane and Rince Volume 5. Uh, some upcoming issues are The Legend of Zelda, Four Swords and Four Swords Adventures. Kick Off, Player Manager and Kick Off 2. Outrun, Grand Theft Auto 5 and The Legend of Zelda, The Minish Cap. Head over to CanaanRince.com for articles, features, reviews, and links to our forum, Facebook page, and YouTube channel. Please also check out our video games music podcast, uh, Sound of Play. Um, it's a younger show, but we think it's equally worth your time. Joining me, Joshua Garrity, in this issue, Sean O'Brien. Hello, hello. Tony Atkins. Hello. And Ryan Heyman. You could have at least worn your glamour today, Josh. So, The the Wolf Among Us was uh, developed by uh, Telltale Games and published by Telltale Games. Um, this had, uh, like all Telltale Games, it had quite a uh, awkward release schedule. Um, I'm not going to go through all the release dates of um, every single episode. Um, episode 5 was released on July 8th, uh, 2014, and uh, uh, July 9th on Xbox Live and uh, EU uh, PSN. Um, but I, I think it's worth commenting on um, some of the uh, delayed uh, release dates, specifically for PSN uh, in the European territories. Mm. Um, episode, episode 4 kind of seems like the most striking um, as uh, it came out May 27th uh, on uh, PC and uh, US PSN, whereas in Europe we had to wait until June 4th. Um, so yeah, this, this, this game had a bit of a staggered release schedule, and uh, those of us who own the game on PS3 uh, in the European territories had to wait long, you know, longer than anyone else while everyone else was talking about how great the latest episode was. <laughs> Um, so, uh, notable people who worked on The Wolf Among Us, um, the directors, uh, Nick Herman and Dennis Lennart, uh, worked on episode one, Jason Latino worked on episode two, Martin Montgomery, uh, episode three, Kent Mundell, episode four, Varum Antonian, uh, worked on episode five. Uh, the writers, uh, lead writers, there are more um, additional writing credits, but I just wanted to uh, name the lead writers for each episode. Um, um, Pierre Charette was the lead writer on episode one. Dave Grossman was lead writer on episode two. Adam Hines was the uh, lead writer on episode three. Uh, Nicole Martinez was lead writer in episode five. And Dan Martin was lead writer on episode four. Before we move on from this point, I'm kind of curious, and I don't know if you have any insight into this, but uh, was the was the swapping off of directors and writers for each episode like an intentional move from the beginning, or or did new personnel come on and leave the studio here and there? Like, it, it feels like in any other game, this would signal a bit of a disaster, mm -hmm. but uh, this could have been just them wanting to have different voices giving, uh, you know, distinct. Um, identities to each episode. I guess to answer that question is, is how does any other Telltale game work? I mean, yeah. is this 
just set in standard. I mean, I'm not sure if the the Walking Dead or any of the other, you know, titles, Game of Thrones, etc., have completely different setup of writers. I mean, I'd imagine with their release schedule, I I guess it's a pretty short period of time between recording or between uh, making each episode. I always got the feeling that they should kind of just make a one great big thing in behind closed doors and release it Mm -hmm. so they hit their timescale. But this is back, I think, when Telltale were really pumping out things on a a short period. And actually, I mean, that's... That's proved out in some of the episodes being shorter as the mm-hmm. further you get into the uh, the season. So I'd, I'd imagine it's probably just a case of you handle that. We have an overarching script yeah. and you go with it, I'd imagine. I was looking at season two right now of The Walking Dead on uh, Wikipedia and there, it's the same thing there. Like they had different yeah. uh, people yeah. working on different episodes. So, And I imagine it's an attempt to kind of emulate um, the way TV shows are written yeah, as very well. Much. Uh, whereas, you know, they have, you know, the guy in charge, the showrunner, as it were, but mm-hmm. then you know they split off into individual teams to you know film and you know write and and then direct the uh, mm-hmm. the episode they've been given. So yeah, yeah, actually, it always fascinates me actually how a TV show can can feel a coherent piece of, uh, mm-hmm. of a coherent piece, yeah. and then you you look at the people involved, and each one's a different person. You think well, you'd think a directorial standpoint would be mm. you know. It was certainly in film, it, you know, it can lend a very different feeling from film mm-hmm. to film. But um, yeah, in TV, it, it works. Uh, I guess in games, that, that can also be quite true. Yeah. I know oftentimes there's a lot of composers on a, uh, on a soundtrack. And um, I, I remember watching a GDC talk about the Bloodborne soundtrack and how they basically just like restricted the number of like instruments that could be used to like a very like set um, you know, so they didn't have access to the full orchestra, so it would kind of like gravitate everybody towards like a, a cohesive sound, even though there mm. were different um, composers and voices and everything. But uh, yeah, I don't know how exactly that would work with the writing, and I'm really fascinated as to uh, you know how that how that level of consistency can be achieved. Because going yeah. through the game, like I didn't feel like every chapter was directed mm-hmm. and written by different people. Uh, just to go through the last of the uh, credits, um, the produ- the producer for the whole series was uh, Chris Schroyer, and uh, the composer, who I- I'm going to be uh, saying a lot of positive things <laughs> later on about, mm. is uh, Jared Emerson Irm- Johnson. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they they were some of the uh, key personnel involved in The Wolf Among Us. Um, so let's dive into our histories um i'd like to start with tony but it's funny you're talking about you know different platforms getting it slightly later etc to me it's a classic case of picking up a game after all the hype had gone and settled and and not being there day one and i feel like this is what i've been doing mostly with telltale games is is i don't mind the episodic nature but much like tv if, if you gave me the choice of um you know watching it bit by bit uh, and uh, and having a box set and the complete thing just to kind of dive into, I'd I've, I'd always take the box set, and that's what I did with um, the Wolf Among Us. I actually waited for the Xbox One release um, a little while after, um, so I think I played it um, of December last year. I think that's correct. Um, I've gone back recently and actually replayed it on the Xbox 360 um, just to to refresh my mind and have a different platform and I previously heard that that one was a a particularly buggy mess because the telltale games you know the engine has been much maligned about being hmm. problematic um my recent playthrough of the game of thrones game would prove that out i had some horrendous stuff in that but actually on the 360 version 
I, I only had one one issue where the sound cut out at one point. Um, I actually had more issues on the Xbox One version, but um, yeah. So, but my my history with any of the the you know the comics, the the, the Fable comic, um, I I hadn't come across it um, at all. I hadn't know, known about it, um, but just loved the concept. I've always lo- enjoyed the concept of of um, you know fairy tales etc and, and and different aspects of them and where they come from rather than just the disney's wide versions of, of what we see um so i was very much on board with the the core concept just wasn't their day one to 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 support their um their their normal rollout schedule as it as it is so um for me i was there day one um simply because i was uh riding high off of um you know, Walking Dead season mm. one. Mm. Um, I yeah, I was so impressed um, with uh, the Walking Dead, and and I thought, you know what, anything that Telltale do next, I'm going to be at least interested to see what they do, <laughs> just because the Walking Dead was such a radical departure for them at the time. It's easy to forget that because they've gotten into a kind of uh, formula now with yeah. these uh, episodic um, games, but like. The Walking Dead was so different from anything they had done before. Yeah, actually, um, a lot of people actually really feel like that. You know, a lot of people, I think, are, you know, not necessarily uneducated, but just, they don't know. I think people think that Telltale just started with Walking yeah. Dead. Like that, that was their maiden game. It, they, they've been around for a while and they've had a mm-hmm. lot of other titles yeah. and, you know, on I, the consoles, I will... even. I was just about to correct myself um, because many would actually uh, uh, argue that Jurassic Park was actually (laughs) the the first game of this style, but um, that was not met with the uh, the level of critical praise that The Walking Dead. Wallace and Gromit. That's where it's at. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But um, yeah, like I'd never heard of Fables at all, not even slightly. But um, the idea of a um, essentially a film noir um, made by Telltale with a bit of a twist sounded like, yeah, that's really appealing. Mm. And also what was key for me was that it was different from what they were doing uh, with The Walking Dead. Um, it was still adult, it was still mature, um, but it was exploring a different kind of storytelling and a different kind of style that was exciting <laughs> to me. So yeah, I I bought it day one, and um, yeah, I went through the painful wait of uh, <laughs> uh, you, you know waiting for each episode to come out. Sean, um, well, I had uh, similarly to you, really loved the first season of Walking Dead by them. Um, that had been the only one I played uh, up until then. I played, I think, I played like one chapter of Back to the Future, and I just wasn't feeling it at the time. And um, but Walking Dead really did stick out to me. And then when I heard of uh, the Wolf Among Us. I hadn't heard of Fables at that point, um, but the idea actually didn't appeal to me. The whole um, fairy tales in a in a real world situation. It just, I don't know. And then I read that the main character's name was Big B Wolf, and I was like, Oh, Big Bad Wolf, <laughs> I get it. You know, like it just seemed like I was like, If that's the level of effort that's gonna go into this story, maybe I'm not gonna, maybe I'm not gonna dig it. And then, so I didn't pick it up day one. Um, but at some point, they had released the first episode for free on uh, 360. So mm-hmm. I was like, all right, well, you know, I'll give it a shot. Why not? I'll just give it a chance. And then um, by the end of that episode, I was totally hooked. And it happened to be on sale on PSN at the same time. 
So I or the season pass was on sale at the same time. So I bought that entirely then and then yeah, waited till what like half a year later to finish it <laughs> since they didn't release it until the, so long cuz that that release schedule was uh painful. But um and then I replayed it again on Xbox One because it was on uh, Games with Gold, I think, not too long ago. So, yep. Brian, this was one that I always knew that I was going to get around to, but I hadn't played until earlier this year, actually, just because of you know backlog and everything. But I had been a fan of Telltale for a long, long time uh, back when uh, um, I, I loved their Sam and Max games. Uh, particularly the the last one that they put out, which I played through concurrently with release, and um, so I was I was there kind of like at the beginning of uh, of Walking Dead as well, and then I think even when they were showing this game off at PAX, it was like before like everybody knew how good The Walking Dead was, <laughs> and so um, but you know still like kind of relatively popular, and so I always like every year before that would always swing by the. Uh, telltale booth and just you know say hi and talk about you know what kind of projects are coming up and you know see if there's any more sam and max behind the curtains but uh um this year uh for the wolf among us booth it was the first year that it really felt like a like a big big deal and um so i i waited in line to to play it and was kind of left with the impression like without a strong impression of the game it was the uh the scene in which big b is confronting mr toad for the first time in the first episode and um i i think the only impression i was really left with was like eh, this type of game doesn't really show well on a busy crowded <laughs> show floor mm, yeah. um but i i i kind of i i had the feeling in my heart that like i didn't want telltale to move away from the comedy stuff because i felt like that's what like they did that so well, and I know that the tell uh, that the uh, Walking Dead, like I love the Walking Dead, and like they had a lot of talents, a lot of good writers, and a lot of good directors in their studio and their stable. But uh, you know something about it, like I, it felt like such a flash in the pan. Like I didn't see that same type of success happening again and again, and so like mm. I kind of just wanted them to move back into comedy. And so when this started uh you know the the rumors started coming out and the you know announcements and everything about this more kind of like serious murder mystery type game like i was a little bit hesitant um but i uh i ended up picking it up eventually and playing it through in time for the show so uh yeah i'm, I'm probably the newest player of this game and nowadays, every other game is a Telltale game. So, <laughs> yeah, we're on the eve of uh, Batman coming out on Tuesday, I think, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, The Wolf Among Us is um, set before the events of a comic book series called Fables, which was started by Bill Willingham in uh, 2002. Um, Fables is a story about uh, mythical creatures and characters from legend who used to live in this uh, far off land called the homelands but had to evac uh, had to evacuate um the uh, the homelands due to a mysterious uh, entity known as the adversary and they now live in a small borough called uh, fable town um where they try to eke out an existence um uh, what little they can um, while trying to hide their identity 
from uh, humanity. Um, I'm I'm curious um, how you guys feel about just this setup. Um, first of all, um, uh, you, Sean, you already mentioned that you know mm-hmm. this whole um, you know this whole concept kind of put you off playing yeah. the Wolf Among Us Among Us for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just uh, I mean I haven't been a big fan of fairy tales in the first place. Like growing up, it just wasn't a big thing in my household. So. Like I'm, a, I'm aware of all these characters, you know, Big Bad Wolf, Snow White, Think About Crane, all that kind of stuff. But um, that it just like, it just doesn't appeal to me on a personal level. And um, I was totally wrong. I mean, I'm, I don't want to jump ahead, but like playing through it, I was, I was sucked in entirely. But I thought, I felt like it was gonna be a little too silly. Um, hmm. even though I know obviously Telltale's capable of doing serious or, you know high quality stuff it just i i felt like it wasn't going to appeal to me and and i'm glad to be wrong on that situation you know fairy tales but gritty has been done so many times before uh, mm-hmm. we've seen yeah. the um uh, the american mcgee's alice um just yeah, in the video game true. front and then a whole bunch of uh, movie adaptations and um literature has been written about like what if fairy tales were actually really disturbing and mm-hmm. um which you know is fun like the first time you hear it but it's not something that's going to necessarily endear me to a property but it is something that like i'm not uncomfortable with the idea either and i really like just the general idea of reinterpreting an established story into like something different and putting like a different authorial spin on um, something that's already established and so, um, you know, it's it's something that I had kind of like neutral feelings about, but uh, I I don't know. Within this current kind of video game industry, anytime somebody pitches, like it's like something you know, but grittier, like kind of <laughs> yeah. like I don't know, I don't know. I've seen it done poorly so many times, but you know, it's always fingers crossed. I always want it to work out. <laughs> and I I just think you know coming into this, like you say, Josh, you know, The Walking Dead season one was was so strong. Um, they're coming off the back of what many people would class as the game of the year in many places. Mm-hmm. You know, give or take it. You know, it's up to the, the personal preference, of course. And but it was actually mine. So, you know, I was absolutely looking forward to this. Um, but as for the take, you know, I, I'm I like I I like different takes of of fairy tales. Um, quite often, actually, recently, a lot I've been reading um, fairy tales to my my young daughters. Um, and quite often you can pick up books which are the you know not the the disneyfied versions of those fairy tales and actually be quite surprised of of how they you know their origins and so i i like the idea they were going to get run with that i think what is the saving grace and what was clearly the saving grace before um you know all, you know the the advertising etc was that it, it wasn't you know snow white dressed up in a snow white's dress it yeah. was you know characters forefront with you know of course they're gleamed so you know we'd learn plenty about you know that and the fact that they don't look like their original selves etc mm-hmm. but um you know i think that's you know first of all there were characters in the story and and i think if that's your starting point that you know you're you're focused on the writing necessarily not necessarily just about you know the you know i don't say the dumbness but this the quirkiness of, of fairy tale characters then i think you're mm-hmm. off to a solid pitch I also really like that they didn't all come from like one stable of fairy tales. Like we kind of mm-hmm. have a general, like, you know, old Europe type of ideal mm-hmm. of like what mm-hmm. is a fairy tale. 
And most of them do come from those tales, but you'd get some like uh, like Grendel and the Jersey Devil that don't mm-hmm. really yeah. fit in yeah. there. And um, that and that that kind of like opened up the possibility space for like, oh wow, anybody in the you know Bloody Mary, like that's mm-hmm. a very different like a you know a, a yeah. ghost story essentially. It's and not so blind I really in the like obvious. how yeah yeah yeah. I I think also um, what was appealing to me was they didn't just stop at. Um, oh, it's fairy tales, but dark and gritty. They actually like this world. Um, previous to this game, there's been a lot of effort put into giving it its own internal logic that everything operates under. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, I love the idea of glamours being this um, mm-hmm. vehicle for creating a, you know, social hierarchy within yeah. the world. Um, how you know the one you know the fables who look like pigs or toads or what have you are naturally kind of uh disadvantaged mm-hmm. compared to the people who can pass for human right. um because they have to pour so much of their resources so much of their mm-hmm. income into just appearing human that they're left you know poverty stricken whereas you know people like snow white can you know ascend to you know, assistant of the mayor and stuff like that, um, with without too much trouble because they look human and they can yeah. pass for human and can interact with people outside of Fable Town. Um, I and I yeah, I just I love the way they use that within the story. So you have the kind of the main mystery plot of this this game, but honestly, it's the stuff on the periphery that I I found the most fascinating. The stuff mm. with Toad, Toad and Toad Jr., um, where you really got a sense of how people are suffering um, due to uh, yeah. the, the laws of this, this borough. I never quite got a grasp of whether you know, the world they inhabited, whether people you know, knew who they were, or, you know, mm. there was, it was never really explained. Like there, there was the, the whole scene of them being the police station, etc. And she was mm, kind, yeah. of, kind of talking to, to Bigsby about, like, he's. Like she knows him, that kind of knows of him, but there was mm. no kind of like, well, yeah, you know, you're from this place. But then again, Toad used to just you know, blatantly flate, uh, flaunt the rules and be out in the street, which surely mm. at some point somebody would have somebody come across. Seen, yeah. like, Especially in New York, find, places. Yeah, so I, I never <laughs> quite got a grasp of whether they lived in a world where people knew that they were who they were, or yeah. whether you know that that's why it was such a big deal about the the glamours. But it was never, I don't know, they never quite got that across. But I, I like the, mm. the fact that the world is the world that we know, you know, New York yeah. taxis, et cetera. Um, yeah. you, know, the, you know, the the mean streets of New York kind of really shone mm. through in this game and having, you know, a toad and a pig speaking inside mm-hmm. it was, was certainly fun. Yeah, it also kind of helps that it takes place in like sometime in the 80s, I think. And mm. that's, yeah. you know, if this yeah. happened today, like everybody would have their cell phones out taking a picture of a toad walking down the street, you know, like if you <laughs> if it happened back in the 80s, if like one person saw like I just saw a walking toad, you know, no one would believe them. It'd become a fairy tale on its own, you know, mm. so it kind of yeah. helps that the, the setting. Now, my take on that actually fed into some of the urgency of solving the mystery yeah. in that... um you know, you couldn't really have an undisturbed crime scene. Uh, we get a couple of pretty horrific uh, crime scenes later on mm-hmm. that you know, the investigative team probably would have liked to have some more time with. But yeah. the way that this whole like setup works is like, no, you have to clear the crime scene so that right. it doesn't draw the attention of people who don't already, you know, mm-hmm. who aren't a part of our group. 
um, yeah. because we can't afford to have anybody getting curious about us. And so even if it means tampering with evidence and even if it means like not being able to do like as thorough a job as we'd want, like we just have to get this out of the street. I also um, like the fact that they, this might be jumping ahead, but they, they, they never, they talked about the farm. And but they never yeah. we never got to see the farm. It's just like, well, you don't want to go to the farm. And it, just this yeah. this place in my head of, well, you know, if, if you don't behave, you're just going to the place where, <laughs> you know, anybody can, you know, any one of you can just be if you don't want to be gleamed mm. up, then fine, you can go there. So, you know, I, I, I kind of would love to have just had a scene there just to see the craziness of what that place mm. would have been with all these different fairy tales colliding if you can't behave. But equally glad they didn't actually uh, to show it off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I agree with your point there, Tony. I, I admire the restraint yeah. uh, to just not show that because it would be tempting to kind of just, you know, here's this horrible place and then <laughs> we're going to lessen its impact by showing it to you mm-hmm. and it's not as terrible as you imagined in right, your head. Yeah. Having it be like this threat in the background that fable characters might face if they don't follow the rules was really effective. Mm-hmm. And now I'm I'm aware that there are probably some comic book readers listening to this, <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah. they'll say, "Well, actually, they have shown uh, the farm <laughs> in the comic awful. books." <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, for the purposes of this uh, piece uh, on its own, I I think it worked really well that but they have, didn't show it. Have any of us actually, you know, looked into the the comic book at all? Mm, no, no. I I have I've read the first um, issue that was released yes. the first graphic That's novel. That's what I did. Yeah, <laughs> just just yeah. for research for the show, and it it's. Well, I, I don't even know if you can get entirely everything from the first issue, but there's certain elements of the the game that there are there. You know, some of the main characters are prevalent in in, in the comic, and it's it's certainly mm. got a style to the comic. Mm. As for the farm, I, it I, always kind of came off like a bit of a euphemism as well, kind of like a um like of mice and men kind of yeah. feeling <laughs> yeah, like, yeah or it's like your parents tell you like oh the you know the dog had to go to the farm to unfortunately farm. <laughs> yeah. yeah so uh the player um you take control of the character bigby wolf um who used to be guess what the big bad wolf no. um if you couldn't guess uh by the name um, so Bigby is essentially a, a detective. Um, he kind of fits the mold, even though he's a part of the official law enforcement of uh, Fable Town. Um, he kind of fits the kind of PI archetype mm-hmm. um, yeah. in uh, film noir. Um, and I I ended up really liking this character. Um, he is a bit of as I said before, an archetype. Um, mm-hmm. He's not really um, anything new for this genre, no. but kind of that little twist of, hey, this guy used to be a homicidal maniac <laughs> at one point mm-hmm. um, in the in the homelands was uh, really effective, and I thought the performance was really great. It's fantastic, um, yeah. yeah. I like that he's not a sociopath, which is such a yeah. relieving break from video games in which, like, Almost all of our characters yeah. are just kind of like yeah. uncaringly murdering people and everything. Like he's he's gruff and he is kind of like he comes across like the uh, the typical kind of like gritty character that we see, like the manly man, whatever. Uh-huh. But like there is a lot of time that we just spend with him, like genuinely just like being sad that the world is the way that it is and being mm-hmm. like scared that he's not going to be good enough to catch the criminals and 
um, really kind of like mourning the losses and empathizing with the people who have lost other, you know, loved ones in their lives. And it's something that we just don't get often enough. Yeah, it's a testament to the like the actual quality of the writing because as you said, Josh, he could have been a very stereotypical like PI main character, chain smoking all the time, gruff voice. And honestly, like the whole story, it's just Chinatown and LA Confidential. You know, it's, it's there's nothing yeah. about the particulars of the story that are very original. Mm-hmm. But um it's the the detail of the characters and how they interact with each other that really sticks out and definitely makes him one of the more memorable characters obviously because he's in every scene but like i you know as i said i was going into the game thinking like big you know that stupid name big b wolf like i i grew attached to it after a while but i kind of didn't expect um that kind of quality so really stood out yeah yeah and and what i certainly agree with you guys i think you know the writing around the certainly the main characters is very good and the voice acting absolutely yeah. sells him a hundred percent i i could yeah. could listen to that voice all day to be honest mm-hmm. um but it, he's not i mean this is a telltale game you you can choose whichever route you want and yeah, yeah. you it's not like you can't play him as a psychopath yeah that's true. Um, it's true i mean it, he certainly has tendencies of um and it's not always clear that what you're going to do is as bad as it is but you know i've you know stabbed cigarettes out on you know on Tweedledum's yeah. hand and um you know ripped angel wings off and you know put axes in people's heads and i don't know it's <laughs> you know it's he's certainly if if you want to play him as a uh, a more aggressive character mm-hmm. that is an option yeah. and I mean, that's the option i took on my second playthrough I, yeah, as always too. you know any any of these games it doesn't have to be telltale games you know i i like to play the the nice guy and you know mm-hmm. sit somewhere in between and sometimes if i don't entirely agree with a, an option i might you know wander off that that path but to play yeah. him kind of night and day and and this time i did play him as as quite a kind of just i'm getting jobs done it doesn't matter if i step on people's feelings whatnot and he, he can come off as as quite an arsehole to be honest mm-hmm. but yeah. um but, but it's I, not I think... a fun way to play that i, I have to admit I th- I think it's a testament to how well realized the character is that none of those choices feel inorganic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um because you know Bigby is a bad person trying his best mm-hmm. to be good. And so when he surrenders to those kind of you know baser instincts and you know rip someone's arm off or something like that. <laughs> yeah. It 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 feels natural but when he He's about to do it, but then holds himself back, mm-hmm. rethinks, yep. reevaluates. That feels natural too, because mm-hmm. he's, you know, his gut instinct is to do that, well, but then he's trying to be more reasonable and trying to be more thoughtful. It's it's interesting actually, because you know, playing it, playing through these games a second time, and you know, always knowing what what's coming up in the story, yeah. it, it does allow you to, you know, play with the mechanics a bit more than you would do first first time round. But even with that, there's, you know, there's the scene quite early on with, with Faith where, you know, knowing, okay, spoilers, everybody, um, knowing that she's going to be murdered, you know, only five minutes around the corner, you know, the idea of still not giving her money right, and yeah. helping her out, like, I just, I still couldn't do it. I was like, mm-hmm. well, no, this, this isn't my character. Like, I'm not going to refuse mm-hmm. her and help her out in this situation. Mm-hmm. I still have quite a bit of empathy for, for her as a character. But equally, you know, towards the the latter stage of the game, the game where you've got oh, is it old mother, the, the witch, Auntie Greenleaf, yeah. and, and Auntie Greenleaf, where um, you know, she turns herself into this small child, and <laughs> I, 
you know, first time round, it really got me. I was like, well, I can't interrogate this child. And actually, I was playing that kind of big bad wolf kind of like, I, I you know, I need mm-hmm. to know what is from you, but I'm going to hold back. And I, it's brilliantly written in that way that you kind of, you know, Snow's looking at you and you're trying to placate, you know, mm-hmm. two sides of that character. You need to know the information because you're a, a time limit, but equally, you know, you don't want to upset a small girl. This time, knowing mm-hmm. that she was in flat, just glamoured, I... I slammed the door in her face, you know, smacked it open, uh, said the big bad wolf's coming to get you unless you tell me <laughs> the information. And it's actually brilliantly written, but mm. it's something I wouldn't have taken first time around. But yeah, superb voice acting, I have to say, from, from Big B. There, there's a huge uh, list of um, characters mm. uh, involved in this story, um, ranging from Bluebeard to uh, Nerissa, the Little Mermaid. Um, Etc. Etc. But um, I I don't think we have enough time to go through every single one individually. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to ask you guys if there were any standout uh, moments with mm-hmm. uh, particular characters uh, yeah. in the Wolf Among Us. I mean, we ha- we kind of have to talk about Nerissa and whether she even is Nerissa or Faith. Yeah, like that's kind of the whole and ends up being mm-hmm. the the whole twist at the end is whether. You know, it's left up to you, I think, right? Like, whether you think that she was glamoring the whole time or or not. And I think that was a really neat, uh, a very cool noir ending to the story of how, you know, uh, to give people a summary, like, you find this uh, uh, prostitute in the beginning of the story who, her name's Faith, and then you kind of follow her story for a little bit, and then she gets murdered. And you find out that Nerissa is her, her co-worker. And then throughout the whole story, Nerissa keeps popping up every once in a while. And, like, you still... For me, I was totally suckered by her. Like, I I did not expect her to be involved whatsoever. And then uh, that very final twist with her I thought was great. And how, you know, they give you that setup of, do you want to go after her or not? And it doesn't matter, you know. It mm-hmm. just ends up being your... It all ends up being in your head. But I thought that was a really cool way to end the story with um, not knowing whether she was who she said she was. I think the um, relationship between Beauty and the Beast is interesting in this game as well. Mm-hmm. Just uh, really kind of fascinating characters there. And Beast being such an unpredictable character, kind of like Bigby in a way. Uh, but then the fact that they were both like um, kind of dishonest characters in that they're kind of trying to uh, to live their their lives that they had in the fairy tale because they had both been like royalty in the fairy tale. And they were having a really hard time giving that up, living yeah. just in this kind of mm-hmm. crap apartment in New York. Uh, they tried to really kind of like keep up errors and uh, and potentially rip people off to to get some of that money back to live to the standard to which they were comfortable. Yeah, and that they don't they don't placate to it. Do they? It's it's that's I think the Beauty and the Beast would be a very easy one to placate to. But like, the fact that she kind of works in a it's not a prostitute bar, but it's in a an area that's a hotel mm-hmm. that's clearly a seedy place for her to yeah. be, mm-hmm. just trying to make any meat. But but more importantly, not trying to let um, uh, Beast know that, mm-hmm. that she's doing these things. Yeah. You know, he's still just trying to keep the household running behind his back, and then he feels you know super bad about you know the situation, and then eventually you mm-hmm. know, have to go and borrow money from um, the crook man, isn't he? So mm, yeah. Um, but uh, they they were certainly some of my favourite characters anyway. I, I think um, is it Colin the pig made me laugh yeah. the yeah, most. Was great. Yeah, completely yeah. once again, complete side character and doesn't need to be there at all. But just the fact that he was never uh, glamoured up, so you'd uh, you know <laughs> him drink him drinking and smoking was kind of funny. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I, I mean, it, it seems kind of absurd to say this based on, you know, the events that follow, but um, actually my favourite scene in, in all of the, uh, you know, in all of the, the Wolf Among Us is in episode one, where it's just Bigby and Colin talking to mm-hmm. each other. Yeah. Be- and it was, and, and the reason why is just simply because I was struck by how natural mm-hmm. that yeah, conversation yeah. felt. Yeah. And how you were instantly sold on the history between these two characters, yeah. just by the way they were talking to each other and the way they were interacting with each other, and and not needing to reel off, you know, reams and reams of backstory. Just having this really comfortable, but you know, a conversation that had moments of tension because these these two two people might know each other very well, but you know, Colin is a pig who refuses. <laughs> either refuses or cannot use uh, glamours or can't afford glamours mm-hmm. and, and is living in the farm. And it's Bigby's job to send him back there. <laughs> you know, one of the worst places for a fable to go. It, it's, you know, his friend's job to send him back there. But equally... And that kind of... But it's because yeah. he holds that, you know, there's a great line. It's that, well, you know, I never asked you to blow my house down. You right, just yeah. did it. <laughs> and it's... Yeah. Like that yeah. line could be really, really, really corny, yeah, but it actually yeah, yeah. it it comes off, and I, and I think it's a lot of it is certainly to do with the voice acting, um, and yeah. yeah, the setting for sure. I mean, they're sitting there drinking and smoking together, it, it, but it could have come off completely like, oh god, yeah, that was a that yeah. offline, but it actually comes off as like, yeah, you know, why are you actually here with the guy that essentially you know destroyed your your world back mm-hmm. in the old world because you know, but mm. it's you know. They're, they're needing to stick together in this mm-hmm. this new place they've been sent to, um, and even if the you know, once again like you you end up having, a f- I mean I ended up having a fairly soft spot for the woodsman in the end. You know, it's yeah. essentially yeah. the person that tried to kill me in in mm-hmm. my previous uh, assistance. Um, you know, it doesn't start out as the greatest relationship when you first meet him, mm-hmm. <laughs> but by the end, you know, I I generally had that kind of you know we were buddies you know caught mm-hmm. up in yeah. a, in a in a bigger situation, once again, interesting piece of writing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'm sure yeah. you know. I'm, I reckon, Josh, you're you're definitely a Toad and the Toad Junior guy because that's <laughs> a that's that's quite a cool little uh, tale in there, and it, it's the one that probably explores the most about uh, the difficult situations between people caught between yeah. you know, these mm-hmm. new worlds. Yeah, and um, I mean, I I think Toad's accent is a little rough <laughs> at points um but overall i really like the way they handled uh, those mm. two characters mm. um and and making bigby's i really felt bigby's conflict mm-hmm, of yeah. do i uphold the law here or do i you know send these people off because in many ways as is you know terrible as the farm sounds i think you know there's an argument to be made that Toad and Toad Jr. might actually be safer there yeah. um, than they are out here. Um, and, you know, ultimately, and, and some people are going to call me a monster for this, but, you know, there's a choice in, in one episode where you basically choose, do I let these guys, you know, go scot-free or do I send them back to the farm? Mm. I sent them back to the farm <laughs> because <laughs> at the time it seemed like the most morally... Yeah, yeah correct thing to do i mean i think both for me both choices were you know pretty awful i mean it's either risk them exposing the, the fable culture to everyone outside of fable town or 
you know, send these guys to Fable Town. It, it was a real moral quandary. And, and I, do, I, I do absolutely relate to Toad's situation. Like, it's not as simple mm-hmm. as, well, why don't you just glamour for money to do mm-hmm. that? Um, and, and there are obvious, you know, comparisons to be made with, you know, kind of American society specifically, where there are certain aspects of society that should be socialized that are not socialized. Um, uh, <laughs> and, you know, and, and that kind of in, in our, you know, Tony, in, in our country, that, you know, things that we've taken for granted <laughs> are being kind of peeled back and, and you know, people of a, a certain class are going to suffer uh, because of that. Um, and and I think using this, you know, the fable town and the glamours and all of that stuff as like a really subtle metaphor for bigger, widespread societal problems of classism was, I it was really elegant. I I really love that stuff. And and they play on it so much as well because you you talk about like the the underground trade of glamours as well, which you you have a decision mm-hmm. later on to to whether to shut down or not. But you know by by shutting it down, you are putting people like Toad completely at risk because you know these things are cheap. You know you don't have to go for the official organisations, but also it it means that you know these things can go into the wrong hands, which is essentially mm-hmm. what the whole game is caught yep. around. Um, and you know you have the choice to burn down the you know the tree that is supplying these glamours, knowing that it's going to affect people that are you know near and dear to you, but equally hopefully save Fable Town in some some small regard, or at least mm-hmm. kind of stick by the rules. And mm-hmm. that's a it's a difficult decision because you know once again you know sometimes the rules aren't always the best thing for yeah. everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's you know you take that choice, you burn down the tree, and the outcome of it is, you know, she's very unhappy, <laughs> um, <laughs> and equally so. Uh, equally, you can understand, but um, you know, it's it's an order given to you by Snow White, and you kind of at that time, I'm trying to placate Snow White, thinking that she she's the one that's probably going to lead um, the town back to kind of some kind of greatness. So I followed out that order, and kind of I've played it both ways now, and feel equally bad either you know in either way, and I think that's the right the right context for it, but that. Yeah, that's kind of like the wire, Josh. You know, that's. I mean, it's no, it's not, it's not. I mean, it's it's nowhere near as deep, of course. But it, you know, it, it's playing with stuff yeah. like that that I think is actually I mean, really important. You laugh there, but I, I don't think you're far off. Like, obviously, the wire is going a lot deeper with this stuff, as you said, and it has many more uh, yeah, episodes it, to yeah, do. So yeah. it's five seasons long, and la 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 la. But. Like yeah, this, like... this is attempting to um, discuss similar subject matter, just in with the distance that the metaphor provides. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just think it's really clever. Um, one thing that I was disappointed with, um, and and this becomes more relevant as the the episodes go on. So you slowly unravel the mystery of uh, why these um, these girls are getting murdered and, and this huge conspiracy in Fable Town. At first you think um, Ichabod, uh, Ichabod Crane is involved, but then it's unveiled to be uh, the Crooked Man and his followers. Um, the, the thing I found disappointing was, ultimately... I felt like a lot of the motivations of the villains fell flat and I was really yeah. hoping mm-hmm. for, you know, that 
you know, the typical kind of film noir third act twist that recontextualizes mm-hmm. everything that came before. And I never quite got that. Um, there, you know, there are twists, but not not on that kind of earth-shattering level that kind of re re uh, you know uh, recontextualizes everything. And a lot of the the antagonist characters um, towards the end, you know, the the final few episodes, and and I'm particularly mm-hmm. talking about Bloody Mary here, are not three-dimensional characters in the way that we've talked about with all the mm. other characters. You have people like mm, yeah. um, uh, the Woodsman and Beauty and the Beast and Toad and Toad Jr., who are so fantastically written and well-realized. And mm. then you have Bloody Mary, who, what, what's her motivation? She just likes killing people? Yeah, she's pretty scary. I, I mean, she's scary up to a point, but then when you realize that her... Her character's pretty hollow. I mean, this is me speaking. You guys might disagree with me, but I found mm. Bloody Mary to be a pretty hollow character. Uh, if, I mean, I totally agree that she doesn't have much depth, uh, especially because you're not given any scene with her that isn't like an antagonistic scene. You know, you don't see her mm-hmm. conversing with the group uh, that she's with or anything. You just you're only the only time you ever see her is when you're gonna fight her. And but I thought at the same time, like her voice acting. And her lines were really yeah. effective. I thought that she was just a really fun villain. And maybe that's not kind of what you expect out of a um, noir story. Like you want a more full-bodied kind of character or a more a deeper kind of character. But And she's not the main antagonist, but she certainly is the most, I think, but uh, she, vicious. She definitely has, yeah, Bigsby's number as well, doesn't she? she yeah. You, whenever you see her, that, you know, she seems like she is one step ahead, whether it be the yeah. silver bullet or, you know, she, she was at that stage, she could have quite easily taken his mm-hmm. head off if it wasn't for yeah. the crooked man to say no. Mm-hmm. I, I think actually the crooked man, it, none of that stuff actually, I think, paid out towards mm-hmm. the end. I, I, I think I understand, well, if I understand his motives, which is, um, you know, the poor, not the poor, I, I guess the, the problem is like Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Like I guess they're just stereotypical kind of like slightly dumb Henchmen, characters that do yeah. anything for anybody. Um, mm. And I and I felt like they the whole group was made up of of characters like that. Um, so it it felt like yes, he had preyed on on the people that have access to to other situations. You know, mm-hmm. be it you know nightclubs or you know the porn clubs, etc. That mm. you know have an influence on the society that they're living in. But I, yeah, I don't know. I just, he never really sold why he mm. was there more so than just wanting power. Yeah. Which when you've got a quite a developed story, it, it didn't really play out. I think the payoff for the Crooked Man came from the scene where you have to put him on trial before yeah, you know, yeah. him yeah. into the yeah. well at the end, which I, like, I think he played into the, uh, I don't know if it's a, like a real type of archetype from like you know pulled from reality or whether it's just kind of like from fictional depictions of these kind of inner city uh type you know communities but there's a you know a a somewhat common trope of kind of like the benevolent like drug dealer or pimp Mm -hmm. or something Mm who who does you know wrong things but he does it to support his community Mm -hmm. and to you know put that money back into um, you know, building up the church and the community centers and making sure that the kids are doing yeah. okay. And, um, and so, you know, I, I felt like he was, and he was able to appeal to everybody in the room pretty much and say like, I'm not actually like, you know, when you needed help, like you came to me and I was there for you. 
And, you know, every once in a while, like I make, you know, some of my associates get a little carried away. Like he always did, had somebody else do his bidding. So he had the plausible right. deniability. But um, and so you were caught up in ultimately the culmination of this class struggle, which was like he is disobeying the law, but the law isn't serving the average mm -hmm. person. And maybe yeah. he is better serving the yeah. average person. And so, you know, what do we do as somebody who on one hand wants to uphold the law, but on the other hand, like we want some level of favor down. with the community as well. Mm -hmm. and yeah. He's also not wrong because, you know, Crane is like, he's been messing with the system, you know, taking money out of it. Mm -hmm. Like it, yeah. it's the typical, you know, governmental, you know, it actually does the government know what it's doing. And, and maybe there is somebody that's, that's lower down that can, can fix the wrong. I mean, this is essentially what all governments are made up of, isn't it? It's, you know, everyone's got an opinion that, they could mm -hmm. do better and i i actually completely brought into that and i think at the end at the wishing well is it the wishing well it's the, uh the witching well the witching well that's it completely yeah. different thing the witching <laughs> well um if he had just stuck to that then i think that would have been a greater twist in itself which is actually if you look at all these things he's the good guy here and actually the, the bigger people here yeah. are, are the wrong but it's then he just kind of has that flip of well Actually, no, I kind of just want the power. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's less interesting. Yeah, no, throwing yeah. down the witching well. That's fine. <laughs> Actually, no, I locked him up. I, 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 I turned him yeah. into a crow, yeah. apparently. Yeah. So. yeah. You can actually play that scene out prior to that. You actually kill him in the, the yep. office. Um, mm -hmm. So you can actually just drag him and just throw <laughs> him straight down without a trial, which causes yeah. the own kind of the group to, to, to question kind of yeah. himself, which, you know, can't be the judge and jury and all these things so it plays out in a slightly different but um, yeah i like that i like the first time I... Mm -hmm. I like that it, it, either way you play out how if you kill him or not the next scene is still a really interesting moral play of mm. whether or not your your decisions up to them up to that point like help the community or not like yeah that's ultimately what the trial is is it's it's not so much about putting um the crooked man away it's about how everybody looks at big b because uh, they each person is brought to that scene who from the entire story or who's left alive rather and um so yeah i like how you can't really escape the situation just because the crooked man isn't is there to yeah you know give you what's yours so. Uh, as for bloody mary which we were talking about earlier like i think <clears throat> she was kind of um, I think she was kind of like reflecting Bigby's struggle of playing into her, you know, like into the New York role versus the fairy tale role. I felt like she was the character who fully gave over to the person that she was in the fairy yeah. tale. Um, mm -hmm. In that she is just kind of like the the slumber party ghost story about like mm -hmm. you know spin yeah. around and say her name and she'll appear in your mirror and like murder you and all of your friends. Mm -hmm. Like she was fully that character in this game. Um, if they were trying to like make a point about that, then I don't feel like they really went far enough to like contrast her to anybody else. Like she did come across a little one dimensional, but, um, but I, you know, just one like, I, I can kind of excuse that in that sense. Uh, I yeah. think the character that I felt wasn't as deeply explored as I would have liked was Bluebeard. Yeah. Yep. Like he always kind of felt like he was pulling strings every once in a while and maybe this is like a season two thing i, but, I was um, gonna say that it always yeah. felt like there's there's a number of scenes here that really felt like yep a season two like we'll we'll you know just set just, up we'll, for later well yeah. yeah we'll go further with his character arc in yeah, season two I hope so so he kind of fell flat like he 
I don't know. We, I just I came across like at the end of the game, I just kind of had the same opinion of him that I had yeah, always yeah. had. Like, mm-hmm. okay, so you're rich and you kind of fund the government and you're probably doing some things behind the scenes, but I can't really put a lot on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just kind of don't yeah. like you. Yeah. Yeah, it felt like a kind of like a bad red herring. Like every noir story is going to have a couple red herrings here and there. And they, I felt like they were trying to set it up mm-hmm. to where you would think that he had a more intricate involvement with the actual murder plot that's going on. But at no point did I, like he was way too over the top for me to think that he was really involved other than just funding the government. I'd, I'd say um, the same as well for, for Holly and Lily and kind of Georgie as well. It's, it's yeah. Um, yeah, they were a lot bigger, you know, aspects of the story. And although, mm-hmm. yeah, I understand their kind of plight of, you know, her sister being killed mm-hmm. um, and, you know, how that kind of plays out about, you know, you know how, how these, how you continue, you know, burying your dead in, in this world and the mm-hmm. rules and regulations around that. So that stuff was interesting, but I, I never really got into kind of Holly as a person, there was that great scene where she was kind of knocked out from, from mm, the, you know, yeah. taking the drugs and she was uh-huh. kind of conversing with big people without realizing. Um, and that was, that's a touch and tail, but I don't know. That's that character arc. I, I never quite got under her skin, even though mm-hmm. I clearly saw underneath her gleam, her glamour. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I thought would have been interesting is, um, and this is kind of, I don't know if they, we're going with this with the crooked man. Like, I, I guess based on the research and reading I've done, like, I guess the crooked man is, is based on a little uh, poem from England, like long, long, long ago, uh, which is uh, actually the crooked man was also a monster in uh, the conjuring Two, uh, from what I <laughs> was able to pick up there. But um, yeah, I, I don't have the poem here in front of me, but it's just a very short. And so I guess they really kind of liberally reinterpreted what this character was um but i i think the poem did play to some of the kind of like class struggles between i think it was the like the english and the english and the irish at the time <laughs> and so you know maybe like his role in this story was kind of an appropriate um that like you know recontextualization of that same kind of conflict um which is cool but i was uh thinking when i met him that the crooked man was like somebody from the like regular world who just kind of like happened upon and like worked mm. his way into the society which would i think be like an interesting way to to take a character yeah, yeah i kind of got that impression from some other characters too like the um mm. the butcher like i he just seemed oh, like yeah, a yeah. dude right like he was just kind of there um uh i want to say there was a, and bluebeard himself like he seems kind of like a i don't know what his story is i don't know if there, i i'm assume i guess he's probably a a thing too or it's a very fairy tale, fairy tale name <laughs> yeah certainly yeah but i mean it, it, you never see any kind of uh other side of him like so yeah. for both of them i felt like there's kind of the same idea but i don't know they well just i mean uh j- just for your knowledge sean um bluebeard is famous mm. for killing women in droves so he's the obvious yeah. red herring for this plot hmm. yeah gotcha. so okay. that's why he's All here right. um but yeah okay. It almost makes me wonder about the Jersey Devil, whether he was like a part of this society from the beginning or mm. because he's kind of local to the New York, yeah. New Jersey area, like just kind of across the bridge there. <laughs> and I wonder if he just kind of like, you know, noticed that this society had formed and thought like, oh, I might be happier there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I guess that's the role of the dice, isn't it? Because there is a lot of fairy tale characters mm-hmm. in here that I didn't know of uh, would have mm-hmm. to go off and research. If I really mm-hmm. wanted to know of, um, so it's easy to to kind of have a 
a full kind of arc in your mind about the big yeah. bad wolf, but mm-hmm. you know, not quite so much as some of the lesser known characters in there. So mm-hmm. they can you know, make, codex, make it would have worked better. Some reading that you can do within the game. Of course. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably not as much information as you could draw from a Wikipedia or something, but right, um, yeah. yeah, there's a little bit of background there. Um, w- one character I'm surprised um, no one's mentioned, considering her uh, relative uh, big uh, presence in the story, is Snow White. Um, ha- mm. How do we feel mm-hmm. about her? Because I'm, cause personally speaking, um, <clears throat> I thought she was going to make a bigger impression on me than she ultimately did mm. by the end um and mm. i feel like um part of the reason why i find her so forgettable is because the first episode kind of tricks you into thinking they're going to do something really interesting with that character yeah um the way that episode ends <laughs> yeah. you pretty much think snow white's dead already and i hadn't read the the fable mm-hmm. comic book so i had no idea she was a a main uh, character in that series. So mm-hmm. I thought they'd actually just killed her off straight away. And I was like, wow, okay, this is brave storytelling mm-hmm. only to reverse it in right. the next episode. Um, yeah. So h- how do we feel about her in general? I was really interested by Snow White because I had a really hard time like getting a read mm-hmm. on her and not mm-hmm. because she's inconsistent in her actions. Like she's almost a little bit too consistent in that she's so like by the book and yeah. optimistic. Mm. Like I, I always try to figure out like, is this her personality or is this the way that she was like written as a fairy tale? Like, is mm-hmm. she, because she's not naive either. Like she's super no. smart and yeah. very professional and very like, uh, very kind of like hard hitting when she needs to be. And she's like, mm-hmm. you know, should be the one that's running the show because she's, like pretty much amazing, but she's also like just a little bit more optimistic than I think anybody in her position should be. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I always try to get a sense of like, is she giving into her fairy tale instincts, right. and is she not mm-hmm. acclimatizing well to this new world that they're in? Yeah, I think the the problem for me with Snow White is that I enjoyed her up until the end where. Um, we don't get any kind of payoff scene with her at all. Like the, she's only in episode five for the trial, and then she's, you know that's a pretty that's like one of the longer episodes, and it's the ending, you know. And you you don't get any kind of like final scene between Bigby and her, which I think might have helped things solidify itself a little more. Mm. It's just kind of like you either get a judgment from her or not in that trial scene, and then you never. I don't see even her again. feel like we really get enough of payoff of uh the revelation of what's going on between ichapod and her like she kind of has yeah, a couple moments yeah. of like i'm uncomfortable with this but right yeah like, i kind of wanted a little bit more from her like no how are you really feeling because like i know how <laughs> i would feel in that situation yeah yeah i, I think she's a good character to play big b off because she does you know do things by the book and i think you know certainly within your your um ability you can go completely off the the you know the yeah. beaten path um equally i mean i I first time I played it, I I kind of did a bit of both. I kind of placated her to a point, but even, you know, if there was something that really, you know, I wanted to to push forward, I would do, and she'd give me that, you know, she'll remember that kind of look. Um, so I I felt like by the end of the game, we weren't best of buds, but equally, you know, we kind of understood each other. So I think it was a nice kind of, you know, she was uh, something to play off against. This time around, I I. I tried to play it as that she would be my love interest, which I think you can yeah. kind of do. But I just basically anything she asked, I would go off and do. 
Um, you know, I'd always, you know, completely smile at her, agree with her every choice. Um, and actually by the end, I feel like there there was a, a chemistry to be had there where, you know, she wouldn't be in the position she is by the end of the game without me equally. You know, I think, you know, that I could have lost my marbles if I didn't have kind of some context of her kind of sensibilities around me. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think I, ideally they would like you to kind of play it that kind of love interest way. But it, it's the less fascinating one to do purely because, you know, it, it means you have to really kind of be cautious with choices, etc., which is, mm -hmm. is less fun. The, the, the first thing that struck me when um, starting The Wolf Among Us uh, wasn't the writing um, or the characters or, or the dialogue or anything like that. It was actually the aesthetic of um, The Wolf Among Us. Um, it, it kind of continues the um, comic book uh, style of The Walking Dead, but um, with a radically different color palette. Um, this this game is going for a much more um, kind of uh, you know well it's drawing from the film noir kind of aesthetic, um, but yeah. also kind yeah. of exaggerating a lot of the colors. So there's lots of purples mm. and dark blues and and high yeah. contrast colors and 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 it really really stands out um as compared to um the walking dead and and specifically um the the thing that really sold me on on the aesthetic of the whole series is the intro sequence that they play at the beginning of every single episode yeah. it's yeah. one of those you know it, it's one of those intro sequences that every television show wishes they had the Game of Thrones, you know, the, you know, <laughs> yeah. Game of Thrones has yeah. it. Uh -huh. um, some other shows have it, uh -huh. but it's that that intro that no one skips. Like everyone watches it all the way through because it's so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I just I love. I think this is pro out of all the Telltale games I've played. Um, this is probably <sighs> you know aesthetically my favorite, um, just because it commits yeah. mm. to this this uh, color scheme yeah. and and this style. I love the the lighting effects, especially, and the way that uh, you know when he lights up a cigarette, and you can see just mm. really like hard lines around his face of where the mm. kind of Hotline Miami like colors are meeting mm. and playing off mm. of each other. Um, but equally so, and this might even I don't mean to go back into the character stuff, but like I love the design of a lot of the characters in that there's uh, there's a lot going on just like visually in the way that everybody was drawn like yeah, um yeah like some of the characters like uh um beauty especially is very heavily playing off of her disney adaptation mm -hmm. uh the beast i guess as well um you know towards the end of that movie uh but also there's a couple like uh um i love the design of bloody mary and um the jersey devil oh, yeah. just as like mm -hmm. you know my kind of heavy metal wanker type tendencies <laughs> um and I think like Ichabod Crane was kind of like halfway in between a couple of different adaptations. Like he had the like the <clears throat> big nose and the weird head proportions of the uh, the Disney adaptation. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it kind of like it it drew in a lot of different influences that these characters have had and different iterations that the characters had gone through and really kind of like collected and um, contextualized all of these characters really well brought together all of these disparate tellings and form them all as like, you know, they aren't 
they aren't like canonical and uncanonical tellings of the story. They're all just different aspects of mm-hmm. these people's lives and different perspectives. And, you know, they're all, they're all true and they've all made up, you know, who these people are and who they've uh, become because, you know, life is complicated like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was such a huge fan of the, of the color palette and in like any noir story, mostly any kind of visual noir story, like um, even going back to like the old black and white, it's like, color is such a huge thing it, it, it sets the mood so so uh, distinctively and um you know with black and white it was always so, such good use of shadows and with this it's kind of like it sets a very nighttime kind of mood to the rest of the story like all those dark purples and like everything is kind of like like a, a very soft neon kind of mm. color to everything and it kind of reminded me a lot of um blade runner and how certain mm, yeah. scenes were were very um like any kind of red was like way over the top red or or um you know the the different scenes are are meant to evoke different emotions in you and i think the color palette that they chose really stood out and made everything much more effective than rather than just like a very generic looking like if it looked like the walking dead it'd be kind of just a little less uh, effective i think um linked with the the art style um i i really adore the uh, soundtrack that uh, composer Jared Johnson um, helped create. Um, I, I mean, it's very typical for the genre. Um, it's definitely going for that 80s, mm-hmm. um, you know, synth mm-hmm. kind of aesthetic with the, with the sound. But I think it's just such a great example of it um, that it ends up standing out. Um, it's just there's so much atmosphere um, throughout all of the mm-hmm. episodes. But also, more than anything else, I think what I respect with the use of sound and the use of the music is how many times they allow for there to be silence between two people yeah. and in an environment. I was really struck um, in the first episode, and it's kind of the reason why I ended up being so gripped with the game in, um, uh, in general. Um, was that the conversation that um, Bigby and Faith have with each other um, when they first meet, um, there's a lot of, you know, stop and start and and moments where um, neither of them say anything. It's just a bit of human interaction or body language or something like that. And they allow that to play out, and they allow that to play out without any sound cues or any music. And then when the music does come in, it has more impact and more weight because they've been restrained in their use of it. Um, I I was really impressed with that. Uh, The conversational system, I think, was doing a lot of really smart things. Um, They bring back the uh, the Walking Dead's like timed decisions um, Mm -hmm. in conversation system. Uh, but they, I think they handle it a lot better in this game than they did in The Walking Dead. I mean, obviously they had time to practice and kind of like learn what they were doing because that was still a fairly new system at the time. Yeah. But uh, if you go back and like look at those conversations, like I think they're very smartly um, laid out. Like you can press the button for the response that you want. And um, if you press it early enough, then like Big B will kind of like jump in and like almost interrupt the end of the last line that somebody's saying um you know it's kind of like you are pressing the button quickly there's a certain urgency to that um Mm. but usually it'll kind of like wait until the end of a sentence but there's always 
like two or three more sentences that a character can say. Mm-hmm. And they're always like, they're always delivered and written in such a way that it flows into like the natural cadence of a conversation. It's like a back and forth. And when it's somebody else's turn to speak, like you kind of indicate in what you say and how you say it, that it's somebody else's turn. And those additional lines that, you know, you might skip entirely or might play Mm -hmm. out if you're being really indecisive about your uh, dialogue choice, like they become kind of like more and more, uh, it's clear that it's your turn to talk now. Like what Mm -hmm. is your response going to be without it feeling awkward? Like it feels so natural and just Mm -hmm. really smart all the way through. More than any other telltale game, um, I mean, I've only played three of them, the, the, the two seasons of Walking Dead and uh, this Wolf Among Us. I found myself picking the ellipsis more often. Yeah. Um, it just felt kind of a little more natural for Bigby to sometimes not have anything to say or maybe if he's trying to get something out of someone, it seems a little bit more intimidating for him to <laughs> just be silent. Like, especially um, with your when you meet the crooked man after the, the bloody Mary fight and he's got the gun pointed at you. If you just keep using the ellipses, he just walks towards him slowly, silently. And it makes that scene so much more intense mm. to just like, you know, um, but one, uh, problem I did have with the conversational system in this, um, and they seem to have, uh, clutched onto this concept more as with each game that I've seen. Um, and that's, in the first Walking Dead, when you make a decision, you can turn it on and off, whether it says in the top corner, it's this person will remember that, or that's going to affect you later. And um, it started with The Wolf Among Us, where they, there's no way to turn that off. And I kind of like the idea of not knowing when my decisions were such a, made such an impact. Yeah. And I kind of I wish they'd turn that off. And I, I've played like a little bit of... Uh, Game of Thrones season one, and it was still, there's no option to turn that off. And I don't, I don't know why they, maybe it's a feedback thing that they got from the first season of Walking Dead to where, you know, I guess people don't like that. I don't know how you guys feel about that kind of thing, but. They use it for a joke at one point in the game. You're talking to a drunk character and it says like, <laughs> yeah, you know, he won't remember, won't remember this. That. Yeah, <laughs> that was cute. And there, there were also a couple of times where, like um, right before Vivian uh, pulls the ribbon off of herself. And I don't think there's a way to avoid that. Like there's only she kills herself um like right during that conversation right before that it'll say like she's going to remember that when she's clearly not going to <laughs> like she's going to do that as well and they faith faith says she'll remember that and she yeah. dies the next scene yeah it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's uh-huh. just it, it seems like it's it's kind of like um a cheap way of making you go oh man yeah but, you know it doesn't really matter i i don't like it either sean i i think it, it kind of yeah. functions the same way um, in L.A. Noir. Um, it clearly tells you when you fail yeah. the question. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I'd right. rather mm-hmm. kind of know that internally, kind of recognize I've made mm-hmm. a mistake yeah. based on the reactions mm-hmm. of the characters and then just carry on. But you kind of, yeah. you know, quantifying it, giving it, a, you know, a, a, yeah. s- a status or a number or what have you. You, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? But like doing yeah. that means okay, no, I've actually quantifiably failed something. Now I want to try it again. Right. And I don't do it. I don't reload the save or what have you. But that thought mm-hmm. in my yeah. mind kind of um, 
is conjured based on that information on the screen mm -hmm. and i'd rather it just yeah. happen and not be commented you know commented on by the game just have yeah. that negative thing play out and and let me enjoy the rest yeah. of the journey um that yeah. that being said um uh tales of the borderlands which we might cover in a in a later issue i think does some very very funny things with that so Hopefully we can talk <laughs> about that later on. I mean, it's some of this, it, it helps if you have context of playing other Telltale games and, and the formula that they've set them upon themselves really from The Walking Dead onwards. Um, and maybe it's a bit unfair of a, a criticism of this game. But I actually don't think many of the choices that you make in this game actually have any kind of imp impact at all. Yeah. Like, at least in, in, in The Walking Dead, um, you know, you could maybe pick between one character and the other and they'll they'll die. I mean, eventually, you know, that the other character will probably die in another scene anyway. So mm. it, it won't make any, you know, any real difference to the overarching story by the end. And, mm. and the Wolf in Dead, the Wolf in Dead, the, <laughs> the Wolf <laughs> Among Us is is certainly no different. But I think they they actually they don't risk a lot with their with their decision making. So, you know, they, they'll remember that might end up in that you know snow has a more of kind of a, a kind of aggressive attitude towards you till mm. the end but i mean in you've got the bar scene is where you can either you know rip the the arm off or not and yeah. i mean ultimately that's not the end of the character he'll no. still survive i mean he'll just and in fact you know he needs to talk to you a, a, a number of times in in later episodes and mm. you can still rip the arm off and still yeah. be best buds with him by yeah. the by the end of the game and then you know, maybe it's just the case, the case that nobody, you know, none of your choices really mean that anybody is going to die. And the only way that in this game that anyone can die is, like, by assumingly by their head being chopped off because enough characters get body limbs ripped off that regrow and axes <laughs> in their heads and walk away yeah. from from the scenes. That maybe, you know, maybe it's yeah, those decisions are, are going to be harder to come by. But I, I never really felt like any of those choices that I uh, I made that were oh they'll remember that. Had any mm -hmm. real bearing on 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 me as a a, a character or a player yeah. that upset anyone? And so I'm, some of that certainly plays out if you play that a second time. You you kind of yeah. you see behind the screen as such. But I, I never really felt through my first time that any major decision that I made really mm -hmm. had a, a massive effect on on the world. Did did you feel that way like while you were playing it or afterwards? Yeah, that's that's a hard one to remember because yeah, so I kind ago. of remember my second play, yeah. but I, I I do feel like actually the burning of the tree was a it's like one of the bigger decisions because mm -hmm. when that's certainly firsthand and and the mm -hmm. reaction that you get is is quite intense. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I I don't know maybe the pulling off the arm I I didn't do that first time round. Me either, yeah. Um, actually for the achievement, essentially you you have to play have a couple to, of those right? scenes, <laughs> yeah. so I I did get to see it again, but. <clears throat> It had no bearing on the story, essentially, mm -hmm. other than you know someone being pissed off with you for for maybe a, a couple of scenes later. So I'm not sure whether you, any of yeah. you guys agree with that. I'm okay with choices being entirely kind of interpersonal in their consequences. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm a huge proponent of uh, Kentucky Route Zero, which you know the choices that you make in there don't change anything really. Like they just kind of change how you read the characters, which to me is you know is enough of a difference. Like I. I love my experience with Kentucky Route Zero and like I do view it as being pretty qualitatively different than a lot of other people's experience with that game. Mm -hmm. um, and in the same way, like even if the choices were 
kind of illusory. Like I always had in my mind, like mm, that character is going to be suspicious of me from now on. And like, what, what is that character going to think about law enforcement? And, you know, yeah. how is that going to play into? And so, yeah, it just got enough of uh, enough going on in my mind that um, it never felt like a, like a worthless decision. Like I yeah. always enjoyed making the choices. It's got to be such a hard thing to do as a game designer because, like, you know, you look at it from uh, the telltale way of how, uh, Tony, I agree with you that, like, the choices don't really seem to matter too much. They're just trying to tell you the overall story. Or you have, um, on the other side, you have, like, a David Cage game where the choices you do, you make do change the story, but it doesn't make <laughs> sense. <laughs> so, like, it's kind of like a hard balance, I imagine. It's got to be really difficult to find... Uh, you know how how much player agency can affect the story that you're mm. definitely very specifically trying to tell. I mean, you know, it's it's got. I really I hard. think for me, as long as I'm having an impact on the micro scale, it doesn't really bother me too mm -hmm. much. If I'm not having a huge impact mm -hmm. on the macro scale, I mean, because ultimately that's that's kind yeah. of you know. All, that's all video games like on a on a certain scale you yeah, have yeah, a yeah, totally. a degree of control yeah. of what happens on screen but on the larger scale um mm. everything's preordained like everything that uh right. ha is going course, to happen yeah. was always going to happen um so i, I don't mm. mind uh, and i and i and i know based on the conversations i've had with people who who've been involved in games like this that you know creating all these separate paths is such a gargantuan task in of itself like mm -hmm. and knowing that you know that that bit that you poured your you know heart and soul into there are going to be a certain percentage of people who never see that line of dialogue or <laughs> never see that yeah. piece of animation i, I still like the played out percentages yeah. they show yeah. on the screen it, it's still like really i was you know one of twenty percent of people that did yeah. that, you monsters, and, and it and it must actually be heartbreaking, um, as you know, you know, one of the designers of these games to see one of those percentages and see it being like ninety eight percent, and and there are choices in this game that are ninety eight percent, and you must yeah. think to yourself, we put so much work into that zero point two percent of yeah. content uh, that yeah, only that percentage of people. Well, I, I there. I remember, you know, once Telltale were were, you know, were getting big and they were going with this formula. I remember them them having um, a lot of interviews about, you know, their ideal scenario is a fifty fifty split down the middle. That you know, they they've written it in a way where there is no one clear choice. But I think, you know, human behaviour in the end, you know, it, you know, you're not going to pick on little TJ <laughs> just for the fun of it. I think most people were like, well, it's just a little frog, man. <laughs> I can't mm -hmm. can't bully him. Um, so yeah, I don't think they've ever achieved quite the you know that that middle ground. But yeah, you know, yeah, that's not to say that I didn't in enjoy the the micro um, management of it because it's. I mean, to, to describe one scene would be like um, you know whether you tell Beast that you saw Beauty um, after she asked you to to hide that information from him, and you know it's it doesn't have a huge impact towards the back end of the game. But it it is interesting. Like, where do where do you think your alliances lead? You know, do you, are you just well? I'm a cop. I'm gonna. Well, I'm I'm the. I guess I'm the. Yeah, you know, let's, let's go with cop. I'm the cop of this scenario. And you know, what's it to me if she's trying to hide something from from Beast? He kind of should know. Or do you go with? Well, she's asked me this. I don't know the context. 
but you know clearly she wouldn't ask me to do this otherwise so but is she sneaking behind his back you know am i going to be embroiled into like this this marital situation that would have been quite easy if i was just told beast um and as it turns out it's just you know that she's working somewhere that he probably wouldn't expect um but i, I like the fact that when i made that initial choice i was like well no i'm gonna i'm gonna trust beauty that you know she's not doing something that she shouldn't be and by the time it plays out the end, I'm like, really? Is she doing something that she shouldn't be? <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's not to say that it has to be life or death situations. But I, I just felt that sometimes that, you know, my choices weren't really affecting the world that I was I was in. So um, the other half of the um, gameplay experience, um, uh, along with the uh, choices and kind of the adventure game elements where you're investigating and talking characters about the environment you're in um is these kind of combat or action set piece moments um there's at least one in every episode um maybe more towards the the lot uh, the latter half of the uh, season um but like how how do how does everyone feel about these sequences because um they're almost universally the one thing that everyone criticizes about telltale games um mm. uh, so i'm curious to see if you feel any different about these sequences as compared to walking dead season one i i think they'd be fine if they had an engine that could keep up with them <laughs> like the the i don't mean to sound like rude or whatever but it's just literally every single intense combat sequence is ruined by um, how it's trying to save like for some reason it's trying to save every single action you take and like whether you get hit or not so if you get hit and then it's trying to save that the scene just stops on screen and the screen freezes every single time and it leaves it there for like I, and i don't remember how it was on the other platforms but on the xbox one platform it was like five or ten seconds you're just sitting there watching him oh. like just in one spot yeah and it's just and I know it's that way on all of them because it's a, it's just the engine that they they have, and and it just you know it completely takes all the energy out of the sequence when you're just sitting there waiting for the game to catch up. And but as far as like what you do, it's no different than any other of these kind of you know story action sequences. But I don't know. I, I I was just really disappointed with how the engine couldn't keep up. I've had obviously. The, the engine is glitchy. Um, mm -hmm. I, I didn't quite have the big pauses on the Xbox One version, but I did have a, a great scene where, you know, talking about pulling the arms off, um, I went to pull the arm off and went entirely through the body. So <laughs> um, <laughs> it was like, it was just, it, it was ridiculous. Um, I've had a number of, on the, on the 360 one, I've had sound cut out. So dialogue's been spoken on screen, mm. but um you know there's there's no dialogue coming out or vice versa there's yeah. only dialogue and all the background um um sounds are cut so you've got this really loud dialogue track but no context in the world that they are oh, which is wow. really odd um yeah. and i mean there's part of me that just says okay this it's a daft engine like it, it's clearly it needs updating but <laughs> they'll get there eventually and it's it's not helped by other games you know taking on the formula mm -hmm. now and having better engines yeah. um you know, life is strange being one, whether yeah. you like the mm -hmm. content or not. We'll get into a conversation another day, I'm sure. But um, yeah, I think mean, other people are catching up to that engine. But and I and I just, I think those scenes need to be in there to mm -hmm. feel like you're you know, you're part of the action. Mm -hmm. But equally, I, I don't know. They they play out. You 
you pull the right trigger, you pull the left trigger, whatever yeah, it yeah. may be. Um, sometimes you'll get hit and have no real bearing. Other times you'll get mm-hmm. hit and feel like, well, did that have a bearing? I don't know. But the scene's going to play mm-hmm. out the way it's going to play out. There's no, you know, it, I don't know. The, the formula feels by this point a little stale, but yeah, I actually feel, totally. I feel like when the Wolf Among Us was was doing it, that wasn't probably the case. I think it was probably still tolerated. Mm. I think they're somewhat important for the story in that like you need to see the big bad wolf like give yeah. in to his animal instincts every once in a while yeah. but i don't enjoy playing yeah. these scenes but i you know i recognize that they're necessary so you know whatever um mm-hmm. am i correct in assuming that uh i'm the only one here who's played tales from the borderlands i played no, the I first chapter first. so far yeah, um yeah, I'm, I'm into okay it, though. um Hilarious. The, the reason why I f- I feel like I'm especially um, critical of these sequences is beyond the glitchiness and everything. I don't think these action sequences are particularly well choreographed or directed. Um, even mm. if you go through mm-hmm. them without any kind of um, problems whatsoever, they just go you know smoothly from one action to another. What's happening on screen is pretty dull and uninteresting. It's just Bigby <laughs> throwing people into cupboards, punching them, yeah. <laughs> or chasing them over rooftops, etc., yeah. etc. Et Something I think they, um, that you know, we'll we'll talk about it when we do the issue on Tales from the Borderlands. But I think something they actually fixed in that series was that the action sequences. Um, even if, you know, maybe they didn't run, you know, it's still the same engine. So, you know, still the same problems, but they were creative Mm -hmm. in in those set pieces and in in those sequences. And obviously, you know, the tone is different. That series is going for a, you know, more comedic tone. So that allows them to do some more slapstick humor with the action sequences. But largely, I think... Mm just you know removed from that context i think the action sequences were much better choreographed and and created much more fascinating mm-hmm. scenarios whereas here it's just you know bar brawls and punch ups and and rooftop chases yeah, and yeah. and it and there's nothing really exciting here and it made me desperate to just return to the conversation sequence um that uh, mm-hmm. i think this game does much better there's only a it's only a year between those yeah. games as well, isn't it? So, yeah, I, I I will say that the the Bloody Mary fight, I while not necessarily very fun, I guess from just a hand eye coordination point of view, it wasn't very fun. But like watching that sequence, I thought was actually pretty fun. Like the whole battling with all those you know hundreds of <laughs> of uh, Bloody Marys and how he you know this whole the whole time I thought like that was slightly larger wolfier version of him was his full uh mm. his final form or whatever but then when he becomes that gigantic full-on wolf and does like the whole huff and puff thing i thought that was um i thought that was pretty fun actually cool. it's about time for us to hear from our community um please please give um give us your thoughts and feelings on any future games that we'll be covering on Kane and rinse you can do that via uh, the forum, which you'll find uh, at canandrince.com slash forum. Or you can send us an email um, at podcast at So our first piece of correspondence comes from the uh, reviewist. Despite having read a couple of Fables graphic novels and thoroughly enjoying the premise and the characters, 
It took me till the free release on Xbox Live Gold and with the impending Kane and Rince podcast coming up to actually play it. To my surprise, it turned out to be the best example of a Telltale adventure I've yet played. The beauty of the game is that it's a solid noir detective mystery, allowing players to explore the strange world of DC's Fables comics through the lens of an investigating detective. Rather than the everyone loses depression quest of Game of Thrones, the enforced morality dramas of The Walking Dead and the joyful but silly fun of Tales from the Borderlands, The Wolf Among Us never feels particularly forced and there's a logic to the progression that's fueled in equal parts by Bigby's stubborn determination and by the pure fact that his sole job in Fabletown is to look into the murder of Faith and later Lily, whilst digging into the underworld of the Crooked Man's criminal empire. It's one of their first games since the original Walking Dead where I actively wanted to replay it drastically differently. After my standard nice person trying to be even-handed playthrough, I immediately jumped back in to experience the game playing Bigby as a borderline sociopath, insulting, threatening, and brutalizing at every turn. Wonderfully, the game actively copes with these different playstyles admirably, and for the most part convincingly, allowing an illusory sense of real freedom from the opening moments with Toad, the continued awkward flirtations with Snow White, to the final shambolic mock trial of the Crooked Man. The story was brilliantly written, fitting the mould of the Fables comics while making the story its own beast, and drawing influence from classic film noir with heavy leanings towards Chinatown, and a final ending moment borrowed wholesale from the usual suspects, giving rise to a sequel-begging mystery of whether the first appearance of Faith had in fact been Nerissa under a glamour, and whether she really was the Little Mermaid, or could even have been Little Red Riding Hood all along. The character writing and acting was also up to a great standard. Although the Telltale regular voice crew has become a little too noticeable of late, creating a strange dissonance when you can clearly hear Clementine's voice coming out of the mouth of a small male frog, However, for all its positives, The Wolf Among Us also had its share of niggling issues, such as the frequently infuriating engine issues, causing the game to freeze up during action sequences, and although these were less experience ruining than in Game of Thrones, they were frequent enough in the fourth and fifth episodes to sour the enjoyment more than a little. There's also the typical multiple storyline adventure problem, where it feels like many actions simply have no bearing on the overall game, such as the plotline of Mr. Toad and Toad Jr., as regardless of how kindly or brutally you treat them, they still go to the farm at the end, even if you give Toad more than sufficient cash to pay for his glamour earlier on. And the fact that no matter how much of an arsehole you try to roleplay Bigby as, you can never truly piss off the other characters quite as much as you should. And believe you me, I really tried. Overall, it's still a high point for me in the Telltale repertoire, and a good sign that the upcoming Batman game, which will likely feature a similar detective-based storyline, will be in good hands. Gaio Pinto says, I enjoyed The Wolf Among Us, 
I have zero connections to the Fables comics, but I absolutely loved both seasons of Telltale's The Walking Dead, and I thought the neon-soaked film noir atmosphere of the game looked really interesting. I can only speak from my experience with the game, but in my playthrough, the world reacted perfectly to how I was playing Bigby. My Bigby always tried to do the right thing and help out the Fables who were down on their luck, but when someone else started a fight, Bigby made sure that he finished it. That led to a very rich characterization of Bigby as a man trying to do right, but often filled with regret about the mistakes that he, or more accurately I, had made. I've heard that people who played him as pure Boy Scout or a pure sociopath didn't feel the choices were properly reflected in the world. But in my playthrough, all of the decisions and their consequences rang very true. Because The Wolf Among Us is an is very action-based, the technical problems that Telltale is famous for had a bigger narrative effect on the game than they did in The Walking Dead. Though I agree with the reviewists that Game of Thrones was still far worse. My other main complaint was the ending. I loved the idea of a gigantic twist in the final moments of the game, and it seemed very appropriate for a film noir story, but I thought it was too ambiguous about what was actually happening. I ended the game confused, immediately went to Google, and found out that no one knew who Nerissa really was, and then just thought, oh, well, I guess it's not important. I, I thought it could have been a much cooler moment if they had revealed her identity or left clearer clues along the way. Lastly, the thing that The Wolf Among Us really got right were the fascinating class dynamics of Fabletown. The way your sympathies with the Woodsman, Holly the Troll, Grendel, and Mr. Toad ebb and flow over the course of the game are really well done. Those characterizations were the main thing that I took away from The Wolf Among Us. This may sound silly for a game about talking pigs and flying monkeys, but this is one of the most human stories I've ever played in the game. Alex79UK says, The Wolf Among Us is brilliant. It's my favorite Telltale game and one of the best games I completed this year. I absolutely loved every moment in it and I felt it never dropped pace, never became dull, and had a really enjoyable storyline which kept me guessing right up to the end. I'd been aware of the Fable comics for some time, and I had started to read them a while before playing the game. By the time I got around to playing The Wolf Among Us, I was probably about halfway through the entire run of Bill Willingham's fantastic series, so I had a fair bit of knowledge about the world, and had a lot invested in the characters already. Telltale could not have done a better job in bringing them to life. The writing and the voice acting was all top class. As I played through the game, I really found myself becoming Bigby Wolf, not just reacting to a series of events on the screen, but really getting into his mindset and properly role-playing as him. There were a few specific points in the game where this hit particularly hard. The scene in Georgie's club where you can, if you wish, start smashing up the place and threatening him with violence. I threw myself into wholeheartedly actually letting the wolf's rage take control of the real me. The twists and turns of the plot created a really enthralling story made all the better by the brilliant cast of characters. I played the ending about three times to see how different choices panned out and they were all really interesting. This is a real treat for any fans of the comic book series, but holds its own really well for anyone unfamiliar with the world. 
I cannot praise this game enough. 10 out of 10 all day long. I can't wait for season two. <laughs> and Todinho says, After playing season one of The Walking Dead, my expectations were pretty high for Telltale's next game, and hearing it was going to be based on the Fables comics, which I was a fan of, got me really excited, and I ended up picking it up right away. The game is able to capture perfectly not only the visual style of the comic, but the tone and characters as well. It's safe to say that as an adaptation of the source material, Wolf Among Us shines, but it's also where it falters. The game is set up as a prequel to the graphic novel, which already limits the freedom that the writers have with the material. Now, this isn't a problem unless you've read the comic, but if you did, there's several times where the game tries to surprise or shock you that it will have no effect, because you know how things start in the comics. Its prequel status is just part of the problem in Wolf Among Us's narrative, though. The game is also a mystery, so keeping the player guessing and looking for the next clue is very important, which makes it very frustrating when you have figured out an obvious clue in one moment in episode 1, and it takes Bigby until episode 3 to finally notice and say it. Another thing that really bothered me was how it became more clear in the game how your choices didn't really matter much. For example, in a scene, you get the option to rip a guy's arm off or not, and later on, scenes with him will be the same no matter what you choose. It's something that's a bit unavoidable, I understand, but, but at the time I was still caught up with the telltale propaganda that your choices really were important. These issues aside, the story overall was solid, the characters were constructed very well, and I really liked how the game's focus on classism was well integrated into the mystery. Despite its faults, Wolf Among Us was still a really good game, and even though I might have been slightly disappointed with it, I still place it in the top three Telltale games. It's a great adaptation for fans of the comic, and a great introduction to the world to those not very familiar with it. Time for our free word reviews. Uh, whenever we're about to record an issue of Kane and Rint, we'll give out a call out uh, for free word reviews on our Twitter feed at Kane and Rintz. Um, yeah, so we're just after a, a, a free word review. Uh, yeah. Uh, exactly as it sounds. Um, so let's start with Sean. Dan Weir says, Clumsy ass controls. Deepoody, fun but forgettable. Paul Durnham, worthy story edition. Wes Platt, colorful dark noir. Gaio Pinto, colorful film noir. Andrew Brown, novel narratological noir. Dead man, Jacqueline. Nicotine fueled piggy. <laughs> Andy Alec Bolsover, outstanding first episode. Phantom Witcher, what a story. Alex79 UK, fairy tales made relevant. Fantastic. Um, that just leaves us to summarize our opinions on The Wolf Among Us, uh, starting with Sean. Yeah, so I was totally surprised with how much I enjoyed The Wolf Among Us. I. You know, as I said, when I first heard about it, I um, wasn't very interested at all. The whole concept of fairy tales just isn't a thing in my life. And, and you know, I'm aware of them, but I it just I didn't care. And um, luckily, the whole concept of giving away the first episode for free, which seems to have um, seems to have been like a, a method for them going forward, is, is a really smart idea, I think, because it gives people it lets people get a chance at taking their game and at playing their game rather. And um, 
I'm glad that I had that chance because I, I ultimately fell in love with all the characters, most of the characters, I should say, in Fable Town. Um, I really like the story of uh, Big Bad Wolf and or Big B Wolf and the noir story that they tell with him is is not very new. Um, you know, it's very much the standard uh, detective uh, investigates the murder of a girl and that leads him into this under underworld that he wasn't aware of. And, you know, it's very much Chinatown and all that kind of stuff. But it's still the quality of the writing and the voice acting and the music, which I think um, maybe we should have shined a little bit of a brighter light on earlier. I think the music is outstanding. And it's not a surprise coming from uh, Jared's work on The Walking Dead. It was also excellent. And um, all those uh, elements put together, just put together a really um, fun story to go through. And I highly recommend anyone give it a shot. You know, it's on, I think it's on like quite literally every platform. It's probably even on <laughs> Windows phone. So like you can find it anywhere. And uh, it's all, Telltale Games almost always go on sale. So it's worth, it's definitely worth checking out for sure. I think for me, um, while I love a lot of things about um, The Wolf Among Us, I ended up just liking it overall. Um, part of that is because I think um, the game starts stronger than it ends, uh, for me at least. I think the first episode had me straight away, right, okay, I am invested in this story. And, and you know, episode two and three did, um, did a good job of keeping my interest as well, but as the plot revelations um, came about, and I understood more about the machinations of what was going on, and who who the primary antagonist was, and who his subordinates were, um, I started to lose interest in the story, and um, ultimately was a, a bit disappointed with the conclusion. I think on reflection, uh, it is probably tell one of you know one of Telltale's stronger works overall. Um, but it just it didn't have the impact um, of uh, The Walking Dead, which really just caught me completely off guard and surprised me, and and is absolutely one of my favorite adventure games. And and also didn't have the kind of the surprise pleasantness of. Tales from the Borderlands, which I think, while um, not as impactful as as something like The Walking Dead or even this game, um, for that matter, I think it's just a, a great example of execution and really fulfilling the promise of the earlier episodes. But um, yeah, uh, Tales from the Borderlands ends up being um, you know a game that I prefer over this. I do recommend people check this out. I, I think it's a strong Telltale um, game, and I. I would certainly recommend it over, say, um, The Walking Dead Season 2. I think it's a, a more fulfilling experience overall than um, the sequel to the you know Season 1 of Walking Dead ended up being. Um, but I, I would recommend going in with adjusted expectations. Um, just go in for, you know, a fun, you know, film noir experience. Don't expect something that's going to blow your mind away. The Walking Dead did, and uh, and I think you'll have a really enjoyable experience. Um, for me, I actually um, I can, I think I probably sit more towards you, Josh. I I think in some respects it's Telltale's one of Telltale's more safer games, and by that I mean it's it's conversational tree lines. You're recently playing through 
um, Game of Thrones, there, there's some decisions you make just through the conversational lines that really do have impact. It doesn't have to be necessarily life or death, but it feels like you're being tricked and lied to. And even though you know that, you you can't really work a way to get yourself out of it. And you feel like you've made wrong decisions almost instantaneously. Um, and so I don't think it has necessarily the the gameplay of of other Telltale games. And maybe it's unfair to compare it to those that have been uh, since then, because this is coming off the back of you know a, maybe a, a slightly different studio of, of ideas by that point. But I think you know coming back to it now, it it does affect it. But saying that, the thing I love about um, the Wolf Among Us the most is its characters, and although the story is fairly simplistic, just the way it manages to set that world. Um, it's a really interesting, I like the take on the world. Um, I absolutely adore Bigby as a, a character, and I think is it Adam Harrington, uh voice work on it is superb, and as is much of the rest of the voice work. So I think, you know, although it, I don't think it's the the best game in, in the series for mechanically, it doesn't have any kind of the, the gut punch that uh, The Walking Dead had from season one. Um, and but I I do think the world that they create around that comic book was fascinating, and the characters have certainly well portrayed, um, and the voice work is is splendid along with the music. So it certainly has elements in there that you know are some of the highlights of Telltale's work for sure. It just doesn't have that that I don't know that something that that little something that that propels it beyond being just a really good story. Um, it's it's one that I'd love to see continued as a as a franchise um i'm not sure whether it's sold enough whether they they have any plans to bring a sequel to this they seem to be quite you know maybe telltale you know don't need to be looking at at, you know lesser properties even if they do make for more interesting projects when they're when they're dealing with marvel and batman and you know some of the licenses they have now i can see yeah i can see the maybe not the appeal to go back but i equally with the way they developed as a studio, I'd love to see the continuation of, of this storyline and these characters um, and having those elements that they've really worked on now to see what that would be. So fingers crossed there will be a, a sequel to this, but as an overall piece, yeah, I, I really enjoyed uh, the game, but I don't think it, it's their best work. Well, and I, I recently wrote a piece for the Canaan Rins website, uh, just a written feature about the way that uh, that they delivered one of the twists at the end of Zero Time Dilemma. Um, of course, I'm not going to go into the spoilers for that game here because this is not really an appropriate place to have that conversation. But uh, it got me researching a lot of um, a lot of the kind of like spoken and unspoken conventions of writing a mystery story, and it made me think back to The Wolf Among Us and think about the role of the Crooked Man and think about that ending and like you know when i first encountered him i found it a little kind of uh um it didn't really like it didn't really resonate with me as much as i wanted it to because i felt like they just kind of like introduced the villain like at the moment of his reveal Mm -hmm. um i I kind of like when they at least kind of scooby-doo it and let us meet the character earlier on and like because we had a lot of interesting, like Bluebeard could have been the person behind this, and you know Ichabod Crane could have been the person behind this, and um, and it, it felt a little bit like the rug had been swept out from under me at the last moment. But thinking back to it, 
I, I feel like his place in the story and what ultimately made the story satisfying for me overall, I mean, apart from just like moment to moment gameplay was stupendous. And I love the writing and I love the conversations and everything. But like as an overall piece of literature, what made it satisfying to me was the fact that while we didn't know the crooked man by name, we saw we saw a power vacuum throughout the entire game. We saw something that was missing from this community, almost kind of like a crooked man shaped hole in this community. Like there were needs of the, uh, the underprivileged that were not being served. We met people who were just desperately needing another way. And the fact that the crooked man kind of represented like that other way it was almost like the entire game had been talking about him or at least like showing us his necessity in this world before we had been introduced to him. And so like thinking back to it in that way, like there was a lot of foreshadowing and there was a lot of like at least setting the stage for him to emerge. And that's kind of like, that's, that's why I think that, and it's why I was surprised that each episode had had a different writer and a different director. And I mean, obviously, um, there was a producer that kind of kept everything in line and and, uh, and the overall story had been written out beforehand, but everything about this game felt so um, adhesive and so coherent to like one vision and one narrative. And, um, and the fact that, you know, it struck out or it struck such a strong visual and auditory impression through the music and the voice acting and the sound design just like everything came together to create like a really memorable and really unique um mystery experience and it's one that i i do hope that they go back to and um i i was surprised by how much i like it even though i'm a big telltale fan like i um i wasn't expecting this game to deliver just what it did so, yeah, I would recommend that people go back to it if they've not played it already. Well, that just leaves me, Joshua Garrity, to thank uh, Sean, Tony, and Ryan for joining me um, to talk about The Wolf Among Us. Next time, in issue 235, we continue our journey through the Zelda series, but this time, Link has a few friends in The Legend of Zelda Four Swords and Four Swords Adventures.
Thank you.